Hey, welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am a congested Kieran Steckley, broadcasting from Branson, Missouri, here for a wedding. And Cody is still faithfully in Michigan. Cody, how are you doing today, buddy? Hey, I'm doing all right. It's uh, Saturday morning. We're recording this, fresh off another Tigers loss. We've got a day game coming up, but trying to be in a positive mood today. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, at least I'm not in a tourist trap like Branson, Missouri. Well, I'll tell you what. It is beautiful over here, but I feel very much like I'm in the Arkansas, Missouri, Ozarks <laughs> environment. So I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. So, Cody. We're going to turn this episode a little bit on its head, and we're going to start with food. We're going to start with food. You put it out on Twitter yesterday that you were doing extensive, grueling research for this podcast. I don't want to steal your thunder. So what what did you do? What did you find out? Well, yeah, Kieran, I think we should lead with the food today. It's more interesting than anything that's gone on with the Tigers, at least as of Saturday when we're recording this. But I've also got a little story behind this one. It was Tuesday when I I drove to downtown Detroit. I go to the TCF Center. I receive my second dose of the Pfizer COVID vaccine, so I'm fully vaxxed up now. And I've got some time to kill before the game. So I drive over to Corktown, and I say, I'm going to get Slow's Barbecue. And so I'm strutting up to the door. I'm in a good mood. I'm vaxxed up. And I figure out it's closed on Tuesdays. Why is it closed on Tuesdays? I don't know. Is it always closed on Tuesdays? Is this a pandemic thing? Someone inform me. I don't know. All I know is it's completely closed on Tuesdays. Uh, So then I actually looked up a couple other downtown-ish restaurants I wanted to try or to go to. Um, One of them was also closed, uh, Frida Petito's, which I was a fan of in Ann Arbor that that they opened over by Foxtown. It was closed. So I got on the highway, I drove back to Ferndale, traffic jam, came back down to the ballpark later, game was snowed out, turned out being a terrible day. We'll flash forward to Friday. Friday, I say, all right, I'm going to try this again. I go to Slow's Barbecue Friday afternoon, it's about four o'clock, right before I head to Comerica Park, and let me tell you what. It was a great decision. It was actually my first time having Slow's. I know it has a, a pretty good reputation. Um, although apparently there's a negative review that Kieran will tell you guys about in a second. Uh, but anyway, I, I go to Slow's. I order the big three, and that comes with brisket, pork, and their uh, apple barbecue chicken. I also get a side of mac and cheese. So here is my Slow's review. Overall, it is the best barbecue I've had in Michigan. It eclipses uh, the Blue Tractor in Ann Arbor, which was way better than I ever thought, giving it's like Ann Arbor and kind of artsy. It was actually a very good barbecue place. But Slow's, better. Uh, the brisket was plenty moist, which is which is a good indicator. More moist than uh, the brisket I've had in Kansas City, by the way. Had, had very good flavor. It was like a little bit tough. Um... The pulled pork, I'm, I'm usually more of a, you know, a beef guy than pork. I thought this pulled pork was just heavenly. It was very moist, very flavorful. It was the best of the big three. Maybe some of the best pulled pork I've ever had. The chicken looked great. If, if you go look at the picture I posted on Twitter, it looked just amazing. 
overall, again, I don't know. Like, I really prefer beef, so I was kind of like, uh, man, it's it's chicken. It wasn't quite as good as it looked. I know some people really enjoy the chicken there. And then I got a side of mac and cheese. This mac and cheese was just incredible. I'm talking, you know, that cheese kind of melted on the top. It was thick. It was heavy. It left me completely comatose. I felt terrible after eating it, uh, but it was worth it. The mac and cheese was amazing. And I tried two sauces. They have several sauces available. Uh, their most popular is the apple barbecue sauce, which you kind of think apple, like, what, like I don't want apple in my barbecue sauce. Uh, it was light. It was tangy. It was a little spicy. It was, it was really good. I was a big fan of the apple barbecue sauce. The spicy sauce was solid. Uh, it had like a thicker texture to it. I would say it's not as good as some of the others we've recommended on this show, like the Head Country Spicy or Stubbs Sweet Heat. Um, but the service was also super fast. They had good some good COVID precautions going on out there. I was, I was out in a patio area. Um, the waiter I had was very nice. Got me several water refills. I left very full. I think the final score was Slows 1, Cody 0. It defeated me, which is a good thing. I'm a big fan. I will be uh, I will be going back there. I will be, if anyone comes from out of town, that's a place I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to take them. Um, definitely better than some of the other barbecue I've had around here. All right, so could you uh, get a side gig as an Uber driver and make recommendations? The reason I say that is because I've – came into Detroit a couple years ago with my then-girlfriend, now-fiancé, and we Uber from the airport to uh, to our hotel, or motel, whatever, which is in Corktown, and we're just doing the usual tourist stuff, we're asking a lot of questions, because you and I both would say that, like, we would expect our Uber drivers to be quite knowledgeable, because we know a guy who's an Uber driver, and he's quite knowledgeable of the town that he... <laughs> that he uh, peruses. So, you know, I, I think that I take that seriously. And the guy says, yeah, you could go to Slow's, but you should just go right immediately to the bathroom afterward. And I was like, oh. Now, on, in theory, like, that statement alone wouldn't get me to not go somewhere. But it did make me, like, sort of not want to go out of my way to do it. And it turned out we were only there a couple of days, and... It was really cold, so we weren't out as much as maybe we would have. It was like a couple days before Christmas for a Lions-Vikings uh, game. And so we did not end up going, but I, I always thought, should I have gone? And then that was my first thought as soon as you said that's where you went today or yesterday. I was like, dang, I missed out. I took the Uber driver's advice, and I missed out on a great experience. You should have gone... You never know with the Uber recommendations. Let me tell you a quick story that is completely unrelated. Fort Worth, Texas. I'm covering Oklahoma football against TCU, and I'm with Ian Mall, a great photographer at the Tulsa World, and uh, it was the night before the game, and we decided we were going to go out on the town in Fort Worth a little bit. We're thinking, uh, it's Fort Worth. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll go to the stockyards or whatever. I, I had never been down there. I knew it was kind of more of a country scene, but whatever. We get in the Uber, we tell the guy where we want to go, and he's like, you, you guys don't look like cowboys. <laughs> no, we're not. He's like, you, you don't want to go to the stockyards, you want to go to Varsity. So we're just like, alright. He takes us to this bar called Varsity, which was just insane. It had like three different levels that like, 
like started out pretty chill. Once you get to the top, it was like a club. It was just, it was insane. It was a very good time. I don't remember that much else because it was a good time. It was probably better than going to the stockyard. So every now and then you do have to trust the Uber drivers. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's my default, but it led me astray that particular time. So, you know, it happens. It happens. I forgive the guy. He was still an excellent Uber driver. It's just he was off on the barbecue, which, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't take it, uh, hold that too, too much against him. So, all right, so we're doing a listener Q&A podcast. So you guys sent us several really good questions, actually. So we're going to get to as many as we can. And we're just going to kind of fire. I'll read him the Cody, and, and then we'll banter, and then we'll just move on. So, number one. I actually really like this because I have this thought a lot. How does Jamer Candelario fit with the organization going forward? And this is the uh, continuing the question. This is not my editorializing. He's become a quality hitter and a plus defender at third base, yet the Tigers see Torkelson as the future at that position. Do you extend him, move him to first base, trade, perhaps for another position? What is most likely? So the big picture, Jamer, Candelario, Cody, how, how do you kind of see him fitting in? First, Kieran, who is that question from? Not because I care about these people getting credit. I just want to see if they have ridiculous Twitter handles. This is from Restore the Old English D. All right. Respectable. Respectable Tigers Twitter handle right there. Not over the top. I like it. Um, more of a fan of just like putting your name as your Twitter handle, but you know, whatever, it's cool. Um, yeah, Jamer, it's, it's interesting. I think that's, you can add that to the list of things we kind of have to get figured out by the end of this season. I think something AJ Hinch wants to have figured out by the end of his first year as Tigers manager, because obviously we've seen Jamer, uh, have a really good year last year, get off to a pretty promising start. Um, he got in a little 0 for 11 skid that he, he broke with two hits last night. He's become maybe the most reliable bat in this order, which isn't saying much. But is this guy really a future piece? Is this really a guy you're going to extend? I think that's where the Tigers do have some very hard decisions to make. I think a lot of it depends less on Jamer and more on Isak Paredes. Like, how good is, is this guy? What do you want to do with him? Um, and that's another thing that we just don't totally know yet. My gut is like the Jamer we saw last year is probably a little better than the Jamer we'll see over the course of 162 games. I do think Jamer's better than the, the 2019 Jamer. Um, I think in an ideal world, Jamer Candelario has a really strong first half and, and you try to trade him. If not, you know, maybe as soon as this year or maybe into next year. You are. You're, you're looking at the possibility of a log jam at third base. Torkelson, I still think, you know, I, I wrote this week about um, Willie Castro and the shortstop situation, and I kind of dropped Occam's razor a couple times, which is the, the simplest solution is probably the best. And I think that applies to Torkelson. Like, uh, Torkelson's probably going to end up playing first base. It's just the most simple thing, unless. Someone else comes along that the Tigers can plug in at first base. For now, I, I think it's high likelihood Torkelson ends up at first. But if you want to clear room for Paredes, I mean, you also have Gage Workman. You have some other guys who can play third in the system. We'll see how they develop. It's kind of tough to see them all fitting in. I think at some point you probably have to choose between Paredes or Candelario. 
Although the idea of Paredes at second, like this is where it gets complicated. This is where it comes back to my, my column that I wrote is we just don't know what this infield looks like in two years. So even trying to give a straight answer to this question is really hard. Um, I think Jamer's a good enough player to stick around in the majors. I don't know that he's really, you know, if you look, some of his metrics has, have been adjusted. I don't know that I'd quite call him a plus defender. Um, I think he has 20 homer pop in the bat, but is he, is he actually going to hit like 20 homers this year? I don't know. So I think that's a long way to say, I think if Jan, Jamer Candelario is playing well, he is a pretty ideal trade candidate for the Tigers. And that is, that is maybe what is in his future. Um, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. And it, it should be noted that he turns 28 this year. So, like we were talking about with Jacoby Jones, when we're looking at this team, we got to sort of eliminate looking at some of these guys as still like prospects, if that makes sense. It's like we got we got we got dudes on this roster that are like getting to thirty, and so at a certain point, you are what you are. You know what I mean? Like, there's not that many people that at 28 years old in sports in general just kind of pop. Like, a lot of times, what you are at 24 to 28, like, there's, it doesn't improve all that much. It, you're you're kind of that to your core. So, I mean, I think that's worth noting is that we still kind of remember Jamer as, like, this guy, that, this, like, kind of tweener prospect, or tweener major leaguer, not tweener prospect, tweener major leaguer that was uh, acquired via trade. He's 28 now, basically. So, like, at a certain point, he is who he is. I think that's a good point, and we've seen flashes of the potential, right? We've seen flashes of potential with Jacoby Jones right now, even with Mize and Scooble, we keep talking potential, potential. It brings to mind another story that I want to share. I thought of this last night on my drive home after the Tigers lost their seventh game in uh, in eight or eight. They're you know they lost for the seventh time in eight games, and I'm driving home, and a story popped in my mind. It was something that. Uh, Augie Garrido, the longtime baseball coach at the University of Texas, in his documentary, he's talking about right when he got hired at Texas, he was kind of getting to know the place, and he's I think he's at a football practice, or maybe it was Daryl Royal who was at the baseball practice, I don't remember, but Daryl Royal, the longtime football coach, the stadium at Texas is named after him, Augie goes over to Daryl Royal, and he says, you know, Coach Royal, you, every player on your team was the best guy at their high school, how do you how do you coach a team like that? How do you kind of figure out, you know, who starts everything? And Daryl K. Royal looks at him and he just goes, Augie, let me tell you something. Potential will get your ass fired. And we're seeing some of that with the Tigers right now. Like, in, the, in this front office, at some point, it's time to stop talking about potential and start talking about results, which we saw from Jamer Candelario uh, last year in the shortened season. But again, we can't bank on potential forever. I would say in this stage of the rebuild, the Tigers really can't keep banking on potential much longer, especially with some of these, the, the Jake Rogers, Jamer Candelario, Jacoby Jones types. It's uh, If you don't perform at a really high level soon, you know, you, the clock is ticking. And Jamer, like an extension, what, like, are you going to, are you going to give this guy a five-year extension? Like, I don't think so. When the open market, like, so much of it depends on how he performs this year, but um, potential. We're just getting old. And it should be noted, and this 
is not specific to Jamer, but you know, there's a decent amount of dudes on this team that and I don't mean this disrespectfully, are sort of like space fillers. Like you gotta have some major leaguers to you know, show the young ki- show the young kids how to how to you know, how to operate day to day. And he's kind of become one of those. Like you know, he, he like you said, I think he's a legit major leaguer with still some potential. However, you know, I don't think there's anything that I've seen that says you gotta wait on him or make him for sure a part of your five year plan or whatever. So you know, and and you know what? That doesn't make him a bad player. It doesn't make him a bad player. All right, so we got another question. This is from Casey. Casey, with some numbers at the end. Casey. What numbers? Are we talking like 69? Are we talking like 313? Like, what do we got? 147. 147. King Cobra 147 is, is the at. Now, we... This bit of news came up right before the season so how likely is it that Hinch will actually use his rumored opt-out after X amount of years so that's part one part two who is on the Tigers free agent wish list and which current list of players eligible free agency should the Tigers go after so we'll we'll start with the Hinch one and then I'll, I'll kind of read off some some notable free agents uh, coming up after this season Cody yeah I, I... I'm not super comfortable even answering this hinge question largely because I've not been able to confirm or deny the existence of this supposed opt-out that exists in Hinch's contract. Uh, and <laughs> AJ, if there's a certain way you, you want me to answer this question, because I think I'm going to keep getting asked about it, then, then maybe we can chat about that off the record sometime. But here's what I would boil it down to. I don't think if, if A.J. Hinch has an opt-out in his contract, I don't think that means it's because he's looking to bolt to the Yankees or the Dodgers or whoever in a year or two. I think that's good negotiating. Wouldn't we all kind of want an opt-out in our job if we had contracts? Flexibility. Like, just in case things go bad, just in case you, you get a new boss and you don't get along with the new boss, just in case, you know, I, I do think it's legitimate if the Tigers are not able to put a legitimate major league roster around and maybe there's a world and two to three years from now, Hinch thinks, okay, this isn't really for me. But I think there's a lot that A.J. Hinch likes about um, the idea of rebuilding the Tigers. Of I think he has a lot more say here than he probably would in the Yankees organization. Oh, yeah. And if, big if, if the Tigers are good in a few years, if they win a World Series under A.J. Hinch, this guy has a chance to really be beloved in Detroit, and I think it would mean more to him from kind of a personal standpoint to know he did it the hard way, which he already did in Houston a little bit, although he had a very talented roster around him. But he, he rose up with that team and led him to the World Series, and, and we saw last week he's still very beloved in Houston despite everything that went down there. Um, he has a chance to do something very similar in Detroit, so... If this opt-out exists, which I don't even know if it exists, I, I, I wouldn't fret. I think it's become um, kind of an interesting point for the fan base to talk about after after Lynn Henning put this out there on Twitter. But um, I think we should calm down about the opt-out. I think it's a, a sign of good negotiating in the contract as much as anything. Well, let me just ask you this. Have you ever heard of something like that with managers? Not off the top of my head. 
yeah, so I don't know. Like like I said, we're not we're not we're doing any reporting here, but uh, it 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 is it does make for good fodder and can allow Tigers Twitter to freak out about everything about this roster because AJ's gonna bounce next week or whatever. You know, like it's like you know if Jacoby Jones doesn't start hitting AJ's out of here. You know, it's yeah, that's, that's not, not it's not much of an exaggeration from what we see on Twitter. All right, so the next question. This comes from Tom Abbott. Oh, what about free agents? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, free agents. So free agents. We the it's the big name. We're talking about free agents. That's, that's <laughs> free agents. So excuse me, as you can. I'm I'm fighting through this, but just like a ball player, you play through the pain. So shortstop is what we've talked about, and that's sort of been your. Um, that's been your bold prediction or, you know, something that you've said multiple times, just a refresher, Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Brandon Crawford off the top of my head are some of the free agent shortstops. Uh, and you, you have said that Correa is the name that just given the AJ Hinch connection that makes the most sense. Is that still a stance that you're on? I think he's the most likely to become a Tiger. Let me phrase it that way. I think, when I look at this class, I don't know. You have a lot of really good players. I think Trevor Story might be the best guy in the in the whole class. And I, I think Trevor Story is going to be a Yankee. Or I mean, the Dodgers don't seem re- interested in uh, re-signing Seager. I don't know exactly what their plan is there. But I think Trevor Story is going to take a big deal with a big team. And then I think you're left. I don't know. Like Javi Baez is not quite the Javi Baez he was two years ago. So maybe he's not that expensive. But if he's not that expensive, it's because he didn't hit. And then it's like he turned out a big deal yeah, from Chicago, yeah. dude. And so I don't know. Like I think Correa is an MVP level talent. Uh, he has some injury history, which might turn off teams from uh, paying that big deal. And people forget. People in Detroit love to bring up the Pudge Rodriguez thing. Tigers got Pudge Rodriguez largely because they were willing to to bet on uh, you know his injured back at the time in a way other teams weren't. They gave him more years on his deal and a bigger contract. I think if the Tigers really want to star, they might have to almost overpay a little bit for Carlos Correa, which uh, which could make make us nervous. But you know, if I'm going to gaze in the crystal ball, I think it's like. Either you overpay a little bit for Correa, or you you end up kind of having to settle for a second tier guy at shortstop. But I do think. Is there any way that I was gonna say? Is there any way the Dodgers let Seager go? Uh, I've got the sense they're not talking about an extension with him right now. Is that is that correct? Can you get a fact a fact check on that? I'll, I'll fact check it. So keep going. I was gonna say, but I do think there are some other needs. Uh, that the team will address next offseason, one of them being a veteran starting pitcher to complement this younger staff. And I do indeed think the idea of a Justin Verlander reunion is pretty likely. Uh, obviously, this guy has Michigan ties, would like the idea of coming back to Detroit, and he's played for A.J. Hinch and seems to have a good relationship with Hinch as well. I think you can, uh, you can pencil that in as something that might just happen and then the Tigers are most likely to have a vacancy at catcher once again, which I think is concerning because when I look at this free agent class next year, it's probably worse than this year's free agent catcher class. 
there's no one that really steps stands out to me as like a long-term option if the Tigers want to get real serious about competing would they bid on a guy like Tucker Barnard or like take a shot on an aging Buster Posey who has a massive club option that I, I imagine the Giants will turn down like I don't know I wonder if there's a way to acquire a catcher via trade or something I think they really need a catcher even if you love Dylan Dingler like I think you need a, a veteran major league catcher and I don't see a name that I really like unless you want to get another one-year stopgap who's another Austin Romine or Wilson Ramos like uh, so I think catcher's a legitimate concern you're also probably going to need a first baseman again next year we'll see how close Torkelson is to the bigs and if they want to put him uh, you know if they if they want to actually move him to first so I think that's a point of concern. Maybe we're just going to continue rolling with having no first baseman. But I think as we're already seeing with the, the lack of offense with this club, you're going to have to address first base. And maybe that's as simple as Torkelson and you bring in another guy on a, a minor league deal to fill that spot for a little bit. But anyway, those are, you know, those are, I think, some of the big needs that will have to be addressed. I still like the idea of adding... Uh, a power bat in the corner, uh, a Jack Peterson, a Kyle Schwarber could be easily attainable. And those guys are maybe bigger names than like their performance really suggests. But they can hit the ball. And, and I think because teams place these contracts based on war so much, like they could be more affordable than you think. I think a guy like that could be a really good addition to this club. Okay, so Seager, Seager's just going the route of like, we didn't get an extension during spring training, so like we're not going to talk during the season. And I, I just kind of interpret that as just general. A, not wanting to be distracted with a contract talk, and B, leverage. Like he knows he's, he believes him, he's going to have a great year or whatever, so his asking price doesn't have to come down or it could go up. I mean, same thing with bias and stuff. None of these guys are going to, you know, take less money, obviously, after what happened last season where they had the prorated salaries or whatever. So if you can get, go to the bank as a free agent, you absolutely should. So I, I don't interpret that as anything other than, like I said, just leverage. But, you know, it's just hard for me to see the Dodgers, given their organizational footprint, like letting him go. Yeah. Like that, like, why would the Dodgers go cheap now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah, and that's why it's like if, if there's just something they don't like about Seager, like they could they could be a player for Story or these other guys too. So I think at least one more of these guys probably signs an extension. I think one of them is going to go to a, a, a huge big market power. And then, you know, I could see Correa and Baez, depending on how they perform this year, being like the big names on the free agent market, really good shortstops, but it kind of becomes like, how much do you actually want to pay for him? Marcus Simeon, who's playing a lot of second now in Toronto, like he's a really good shortstop who will actually be a free agent too. So, so I mean, it's there's also some more depth to this class than you might think. Um, but, like, I think Baez and Correa, a lot of it's going to depend on how they perform here in this 2021 season. But it'll be interesting to, like, see how much they actually get paid this offseason. Yeah, and somebody that I've started following – because I think how this guy does is going to have a ripple effect across the league that will catch 
the Tigers is Glaber Torres, who the Yankees at the beginning of this season were highly dissatisfied with. Um, I don't know how he's been. It looks like he's starting to pick it up a little bit. But your colleague, Lindsay Adler, at The Athletic, who covers the Yankees, she's written that, like, if this shortstop experiment doesn't work for Torres, do the Yankees make a trade for one of these shortstops that we just talked or about? Or do they sign one? Because obviously they're the Yankees. You know, they could afford to do it. So if you're looking at, like, something that could occur that would affect the Tigers, I think the Torres situation is very interesting because the Yankees, how much how much of a leash do they, you know, give him and how confident will they be after the season or approaching the trade deadline that he can uh, – that he can turn around. So I think that's really interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, he's been scrutinized for lack of effort. He had a private sit-down with Aaron Boone earlier this week. There's also questions like, is he even good enough defensively to to, to really be um, a shortstop long-term? Could he be better at second base or a corner or whatever? I, you know, at this rate, maybe the, the Tigers will deal, uh, I don't know, Matt Boyd for, for Torres at the end of this year's deadline. <laughs> Um, hey, that, I mean, let me tell you something. I am always a fan of interesting. So if they dealt Matt Boyd oh, with Labor Torres, that means Matt Boyd's gonna have to keep a two ERA, and Yankees fans are gonna have to keep getting mad at Gleyber Torres, which no one would have predicted two years ago when supposedly that was uh, the Tigers' asking price for Matt Boyd. So this is a Grossman and Badu question coming from. Jackson Asaro, and if I mispronounce that, I do apologize. Basically, will the Tigers hang on to Grossman and Badu, or they trade pieces? That's basically what that question comes down to. Yeah, I think obviously the Tigers like uh, Grossman and Badu. They signed Grossman to a two-year deal. They picked Badu in the Rule 5 draft. He made the roster. He's exceeded all expectations to this point. Um, I definitely don't think Akil Badu is a trade piece. You typically would not take a guy in the Rule 5 draft uh, unless you, you plan on him having a future in your organization. Took him as a little bit of a project. He's playing well now. You also hope you can develop him down the road. So for as much of a breakout as he's had here in the first month or so of his big league career, uh, I don't think there's any way he gets traded. And if you hear some scratching, that's my dog Olive in the background, uh, scratching herself. So Olive says hello to everyone. She's been a good girl on the podcast so far. It's somehow her first appearance. It's yeah, it's it's uh, kind of remarkable actually. But it, okay, so despite that, um, I, I'm reading. Apparently, you can trade a player selected in the Rule Five draft, but the same restrictions apply to the players in the organization. So if you traded Badu to whoever, he would have to stay on their, their active roster or risk being, uh, he would have to clear waivers and then be returned to his old club. Anyway, I don't think there's any way Badu gets traded. Grossman's a little bit more of an interesting discussion. Like what if he has a stellar first half, but I think he was signed to a two year deal because the Tigers want him here for two years. They want him to be part of building a bridge kind of here into a new era. Um, and also like, who are you? Also, you just need this guy in the outfield. Although, like, really anyone who plays well is tradable. I think your pitchers especially, your Matt Boys, Michael Fulmer, Jamer Candelario, guys that have a good first half are going to be tradable as ever this year for the Tigers. 
But I think Grossman's here on a two-year deal because they want him to stick around a little bit longer, be a little bit of a foundation piece isn't the right word, but a piece for this club, you know, at least for now. Maybe at next year's trade deadline when, when his contract is expiring, it's a different um, scenario, but I think it would show a real, like, almost an over lack of competitiveness if you're if you're trading Robbie Grossman, unless you have a chance to get a really top end prospect, I don't think uh, that's even that's even worth considering. I think Grossman's bringing some good things to this organization. I, I think he's here in a two year deal because the Tigers would like him to be here for more than one season. Well, I was gonna say it kind of reminds me of like Mason Plumley, who's on the Detroit Pistons. Like one of the things that fans tend to get into this mode of like. When you're rebuilding, trade everybody or whatever, or depending on the sport, tank, tank, tank. The reality is that if you're in the organization, if you're building the team, if you're a coach or you're in the front office, you want to rebuild the right way. And some of that includes just having uh, consummate professionals like a Plumley, like a Jeremy Grant, like a Grossman, because you got to develop the non-box score parts of these young players and having them around veteran ball players is part of that process. So the temptation is always like so and so is doing well, he doesn't have much of a future, let's trade him and get more assets. And I get that, but that's not really how people in front offices think. And if you want to sort of read that from someone who is actually doing it you just look at the Detroit Pistons Troy Weaver he's basically like everybody's tradable but I'm not just going to trade just because and I think I think that's something that you know even me myself have to kind of we should all kind of remind ourselves that you know there's more to it than just what you see on the on the uh on the field yeah I do think the Avila front office has had the thought of like if we can trade someone we're going to um though some of those trades haven't materialized quite so well, but we'll save that one for another day. But I, I think that attitude probably shifts as we get a little deeper into this thing. Like I said, I think I think it's highly possible a lot of guys could be on the market for the Tigers at the deadline. I, I'd be surprised if Grossman is one of those. Yeah, we were joking in the press box this week, you know, like at what point, if, if Casey Mize has a good first half, do you trade him for more prospects? You know, and it's like <laughs> at some point we have to uh, – we have to pick some guys who are going to be the guys and let them stay here and, and build a ball club. Grossman, I don't know if he'll be on the Tigers in 2025, but for now he has a two-year deal. I think that would indicate uh, don't trade him. All right, so this comes from Colin. At Colin Trolled You. Any uh, favorite Jim Leland ejections? And, and we don't half-ass anything on this podcast, Cody. You found yourself a favorite, although from a while ago. Uh, again, it's important to always do your research, you know, in all in all areas of life. That was something my, my mentor, T.R. Sullivan, former Rangers writer, would say, do your research. It's also something Ned Yost told me the one time I covered the Royals for a series. He shook my hand. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm interning with MLB.com. I'll be covering you guys this weekend. He said, I hope you did your research. And that was pretty intimidating, let me tell you. Uh, luckily, I had done my research, so it went just fine. But 
Google Jim Leland ejections. Searched around on YouTube a little bit. Found a great one. Cubs Pirates, August 2nd, 1993. I'd recommend going and finding this YouTube video. We have Harry Carey. Were you born yet, Cody, when this happened? Uh, no, I was born in December of 93. So I was, I was a few months old. This time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jim Leland comes out to argue. I think a guy got hit by a pitch. I, I don't, there's an ejection. I don't even know what he's arguing. He comes out to argue. He starts arguing with the home plate umpire. Then he ventures down the line and he begins arguing with the third base umpire. Then he returns to argue with the home plate umpire. He's already been on the field for like two minutes. And I didn't realize this. He hasn't been tossed yet. He finally gets tossed by the home plate umpire. And then he just starts going off. He gets very animated. You can tell it's a little bit of a younger Leland. I mean, he is just super animated. And then... He goes back. He's already been tossed from the game. He goes back to third base again. Argues with this guy. Harry Carey is on the call. And he's like, and he's still on the field. Which is hilarious. He finally begins walking back toward the dugout. But not before a final stop at home plate. In which he's really losing it this time. After several minutes, Leland finally exits the field. And on the call, Harry Carey is talking about, Oh, well, he's a great little guy. <laughs> And uh, so it's it's highly entertaining. I'd recommend going and finding this. Yeah, I can't top that. I'm not even gonna bother. <laughs> there's no there's no point in trying to top that. That's good. I, that, it's obviously when Leland had a little bit of younger man energy. I mean, just watch that video, and then find those spring training photos of him with the pink shirt, with his feet up in the stands. Right. I mean, what? What a life. What a life lived, man. That's that uh, as I put on Twitter that day, uh in lieu of a 401k, I want the company I work for to offer me that retirement plan. Just go to spring training. Don't forget this guy earned it too. This oh, spent, oh yeah. How long in the minor leagues as a player and manager forever? Uh didn't get a managerial or coaching opportunity in the big leagues until pretty late in life. So I think he has earned kicking back in Hey, no doubt about it, and he's got a World Series ring to boot, so no doubt. All right, so you know, here's a here's a name. This comes from Steve. Here's a name we haven't discussed in a long time. Any update on Franklin Perez? Franklin Perez is he going to be a starting pitcher, or is he a guy they might switch to be a reliever? Last we saw Franklin Perez was in spring training in which he was throwing like 89 and maybe he had like 91 once or twice. His arm action was awful. If you go and look at his release points uh, on StatCast, they were just all over the place. His curveball was terrible and it was kind of like, what, what happened? Because here's the thing, supposedly... We've spent so much time talking about Perez's injuries. Supposedly, he's been healthy for like the last year. And last spring training, he looked really good. And I think he was throwing, you know, between 93 and 95. And it was just spring. It was the first time he had been healthy in forever. Rick Anderson was like, this guy could be the top prospect. Um, I saw him throw a live BP. He looked phenomenal. His command wasn't as great in the couple of games he appeared in, but saw the talent you're like oh yeah like maybe there's still something here if he can stay healthy and then something happened this this over this past year when obviously he again didn't get to pitch much 
he looked awful in spring training. And it, it leads to a question, and I know this because I, I heard it from a couple different people in the organization, like, Franklin Perez is on your 40-man roster. How long can you keep a guy who throws 89 on your 40-man roster? Which is a very difficult thing because this guy's the centerpiece of the Verlander trade. I don't know if you can just DFA him. And there's a nightmare scenario where you DFA Franklin Perez and then he's uh, he's pitching for the Rays and he shuts you out in the 2025 ALDS, you know? <laughs> and uh, So it's like... You can't afford to let him go, and you also can't afford to keep him around forever. At some point, I do wonder if Trent maybe trying to transition to the bullpen, maybe shorter outings, let him go max effort could help. Uh, I don't even know where he's slotted to start the year. I think last year they wanted him to start him in double A and hopefully move him you know, up to triple A pretty quickly. Uh, do you even start him in double A at this point? Do you have to keep him down in Lakeland? Is he healthy? Has he started? I haven't heard any reports since... Uh, Major League camp ended, so I don't know if he's throwing any harder or not, but I would say we've had a lot of patience with Franklin Perez. Last spring, almost started to get optimistic about him again. The last I have heard, uh, it's time to get really, really worried about the Franklin Perez situation in terms of, like, does he even have a future here anymore? Um, that's, that's, that's the last I've heard on it. And yeah, that was a trade that at the time was was hella promising i mean it was hella promising because you had the young the young pitching phenom prospect i mean phenom's too strong but you know what i mean you know young high, highly thought of still jeff lou now had quote indigestion over yes training for him. and daz cameron who had the bloodlines and you know looked looked like he was a guy that could be a pretty good major leaguer and then you know best glove one of the best gloves in the minors and jake rogers and you know the astros got a world series out of it and the tigers as of now have gotten zero major league return from that trade i mean i mean that's how it goes sometimes like i and that's not me trying to you know dump on al uh but it doesn't look good, dude. Like, as of now, that looks about as lopsided as any Tigers trade I've seen. Here's here's something else that, that came up um, with a couple people around the Tigers this week. Like, yes, the verdict is still out on all three of those players. Maybe they all three turn in produ- to productive big leaguers. At this point, that kind of is seeming unlikely. You're going to be lucky if you get one out of those three, I think. But... We don't know. Like, yeah, the jury's still out. Yeah, like, it was a good trade at the time. Um, But we don't always tell the truth around here enough. We don't always tell the truth when it comes to the Tigers. And the truth is, right now, that is looking like a catastrophic trade. And it's especially bad if the centerpiece of the deal, Franklin Perez, can't even get to to double A in your organization. Then Then we got a big problem on our hands. That's just the truth. And we got a prospects question, Cody. Which five to ten prospects who haven't been playing at the Toledo Alternative site this year or last would you be most excited to see? That comes from Scott Radcliffe. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that we have time to go super deep on ten guys, but I think there are a lot of names in the lower rungs of the system. Uh, 
lot, pretty much all the guys from last year's draft class who haven't got to see in meaningful game action yet are probably the guys that stick out. I think Daniel Cabrera, like if you go and look at the Tigers prospect list, now that Mize and Scoople have technically graduated from this list, Daniel Cabrera is the number six prospect. Dylan Dingler's the number five uh, prospect. We've seen a little bit of Dingler. We haven't seen Cabrera, but this guy was a really promising hitter, had a had very good career numbers at LSU. I was kind of surprised he fell as far in the draft as he did. The Tigers think he could be an everyday outfielder. Um, I'll be interested to see. I think I like his bat. I like his track record. Parker Meadows is a guy who kind of always comes up in these discussions. Like, can he turn a corner? He's one of those guys that if you're going to be a piece, you have to start showing something a little more than potential this year. Um, here's a fun one. Roberto Campos should be making his debut in the U.S. this year. I believe he's in Lakeland right now. Um, again, the Tigers have not hit on the inter- international market in a long time. There's some people who think maybe Campos could be that guy. What if you have a star in the making of Campos? We don't know because he's like 17, 18 years old. Uh, but we'll finally get a look at him. He's been kind of mysterious since the day the Tigers signed him a couple years ago. Get to see him. We'll get to see Gage Workman, who's playing a lot of shortstop. Another good, toolsy draft pick last year. Trey Cruz, Cole Keith from last year's draft class. Those are those are probably the biggest guys I keep an eye on. And then Bryant Packard. Uh, he's he's ranked the twenty third guy in the system. The guy's got a really good bat. He can hit for a little bit of pop. Plays corner outfield. They started experimenting with him at first base a little bit. Like, if you're the Tigers, you need a couple of those players to develop into dudes who can play in the major leagues. You need a couple couple of those guys to surprise you or to meet their quote-unquote potential. Um, that's These are the things good teams develop. Like, if you, you know what makes the torque experiment at third sound a lot better? Bryant Packard can hit 30 homers for you in the majors and play first base. I'm not saying that's going to happen. That's probably not going to happen. But those are the type of player development victories you need. You need to hit on the international market and have Roberto Campos be a dude for you. It'll be fun to get a look at these guys and see what really might be there, especially after a whole year without a minor league season. There are a lot of these guys who we just either have not seen as Tigers or or have not seen play in a long time. And regarding Daniel Cabrera, forever this is worth, uh, one of the the dudes we used to roll around with in college, uh, Colin, shout out Colin, Grew up in Baton Rouge and lifelong LSU fan. As soon as they drafted uh, Daniel Cabrera, he texted me and he was like, dude, that guy is awesome. You got a steal of a pick. So, you know, forever that's worth, he, he does come with a nice track record. So, and as I've said, SEC baseball, obviously we're biased for Big 12 baseball, but SEC baseball is also top notch. So, it's not like, you know. It's better than Big 12 baseball, I'm going to be honest. No, nah, I'm just saying, you know, we stick up for Big 12 Baseball, but SEC is top-notch, so there That's you go. Where the draft prospects are. It's good week. Also, by the way, I, I wanted to mention this. We When we did the, the Grossman and Badu question that comes from Jackson, he's in England. Shout-out, Jackson. Shout-out. Shout-out, Jackson, for listening, reading your work, which, by the way, please go subscribe to The Athletic, subscribe to this podcast, Apple, Spotify. You can follow Cody on Twitter, at Cody. Stephen Hagen, I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our podcast page is at Turn Corner Pod. This is a great way to end the podcast. Your little bro, the guy who 
designed the logo for this podcast. Excellent job, by the way. Shout out, Casey. Has a question. Best Detroit beer. So you answer that, Cody, and then I'll just tell you, because I don't live in Detroit, I'll tell you my favorite Dallas-specific beer. Yeah, uh, when, when I got this question, I started to realize I don't know that I've had that many Detroit-Detroit beers. I think the Michigan beer scene, obviously, is very good. Um, you know, you've got Founders, you've got Bells. I've been to, to both of their kind of, you know, brewery setups in different parts of the state. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with, like, a two-hearted. I'm a big fan of the light-hearted. But in terms of Detroit, I went a couple weeks ago over to uh, Ferndale Project, really good patio bar that's that's part of Eastern Market. Or Eastern Market, like, set this up in Ferndale. So Eastern Market Brewing Co., I just had, like, their Pilsner, and it was really good. But I know this, if you're into, like, the craft beer, I know Elephant Juice is highly recommended. In fact, Eno Saris the athletics default uh, beer expert, I think, had this as, as the Detroit beer he recommends. And I haven't had it yet. Uh, apparently, it has elephant-sized editions of citra and mosaic hops, giving this easy-sipping hop nectar notes of candied passion fruit and citrus rind to pair with a soft, biscuity mouthfeel. I don't know what most of that means. I... I kind of like, I don't know, I kind of stick to like Pilsners and stuff. I like to try a lot of different beers, but uh, some of that gets gets a little deep for me. Um, but anyway, I would I would go check out some of these Eastern Market brews. They are very good. I uh, The one I had was definitely good, so that would probably be my recommendation. And if you Detroiters out there have some other beer recommendations, send them my way, because I'm realizing I should probably have like a, a little bit of a stronger rec than I actually do there. All right, for Dallas, you can't go wrong with a Deep Ellum Dallas Blonde. That I mean, that's that's yeah. very, very basic in terms of the craft beer scene in Dallas, but can't go wrong with that. I am impartial to Manhattan Project Beer, which obviously doesn't sound like a Dallas name, but it is a Dallas brewery. They have several good options. My hometown of Carrollton, Texas, has Three Nations. Uh, we went there. Uh, we've been there before, Cody. Three Nations has a large variety. And Grapevine, Texas, shout out Grapevine, has Hop and Sting. And they have, each one of these breweries kind of has their own little, like, where they draw their inspiration from regionally in Europe and stuff like that. They're all good in their own right. I like them all. So, excellent question, Cody. And once again, or excuse me, Casey. Excellent question, Casey. And once again, great job on the logo. So, Cody's got to run. He's got some interviews to do. This was a lot of fun, Cody. A lot of food, a lot of good Tigers discussions. And you can follow him on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I'm at Kieran underscore Steckley. At Turn Corner Pod is the podcast page. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And please subscribe to The Athletic so Cody can continue to have a job. So for, for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.